Great to be with you. I'm so uh, grateful for the opportunity that we have to, to gather in, in this way as we do each week. And I've so enjoyed uh, focusing, uh, as we have over the last few weeks, on the grace of, of God. It's a subject that I believe is, is, is life-changing. Uh, I think many uh, people, there's many people that are trying hard uh, to be a good Christian, they're trying to tick all the boxes, they're trying to do all the right things, but when they discover the grace of God, I mean really discover it, it is so freeing, it's so releasing, it's so life-changing. And it's a wonderful uh, message to share. And so I want to continue uh, to do so this morning. I want to continue uh, looking at this theme of the grace of God. And in doing so, I want to read just a couple of verses uh, from Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 13 and 14, which says this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us, uh, for your commitment to us. You're with us all our days. And we thank you for the power of the scriptures to set us free. Lord, we know we have our minds uh, battered with all kinds of half-truths and untruths day to day in this world. And so we need so much, Lord, to, to bring our minds captive to the word of God. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you wash away wrong thinking? Would you renew and refresh us? Would we truly hear the voice of God today? That it, might, that it might result in our being so much more fruitful for you. That we might bring you much more glory. Because we gave attention to your word together. Uh, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been looking... At the grace of God in, in recent weeks, we saw uh, the first week that uh, God is prepared to declare us righteous simply through our relationship with him, through our faith in him. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become right, the righteousness of God in him. He gives us righteousness as a gift. He sets us free uh, from trying to keep the law in order to, to please him. He's made us thoroughly acceptable. It's done. It's finished. And we saw that that raises um, all kinds of questions. Uh, among others, it raises the question, well, what then about, you know, what about sinning then? Can we just carry on sinning? If God's prepared to say you're righteous anyway, what's the deal? And so we looked at that last week. Uh, we looked carefully at Paul's teaching through Romans chapter 6. And I think another question it, uh, that arises, which was the one we're going to look at this morning, is if God's prepared to say we're righteous anyway, do we need to really serve him? 
What is the relationship between Christian activity and the message of grace? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I think so often our Christian works can be a kind of compensation that we don't feel we're doing very well, and so we get involved in activity. And here in Hebrews 9, we're told that the blood of Jesus purifies or cleanses our conscience from dead works. Now, what do you think the writer means when he talks about dead works? I think we as evangelicals, we tend to think of dead works as as being kind of formal religion, people doing externalism. You know, they're into all kinds of stuff. We, we, we think, you know, we're not into that. We don't, you know, we don't do candles. We don't do statues. We don't do icons. We're not into that. We're not into dead religion. We're into something much more vibrant than that. And yet, to be honest, I think we need to be a little bit more self-critical. Just, just look at it a little more carefully. Because, you know, I think death can kind of creep in slowly. You know, we had a a tree in our backyard and it caught some sort of disease and that that was visible, first of all, on the ends of the branches. That's where it was visible and then gradually it just came through and killed the whole thing off. And after a few months, it was gone. And death can kind of just creep in where there used to be life. And so we need, to be, we need to be on our guard and not just say, oh, we're not into dead religion. We need to be careful. We need to be a little bit more self-critical and think, well, what is a dead work? If our conscience is to be cleansed from them, what are they? Well, let me just give you some perhaps obvious answers. First of all, a dead work is a work that doesn't have faith in it. The Bible talks about works of faith. You know, if, if, if there's no expectation, if we're simply going through the routine, it can happen, you know, where you, you, know, where you start out vibrant, it, it can become routine. You, you kind of just do it because, well, you've always done it. So, for instance, uh, we, we come week by week, Sunday by Sunday here. You've come this morning. We're here together. Some of us are watching online. But, you know, are we coming with faith? You see, because, you see, faith really changes activity into expectation. We're coming expecting God to work. What is your expectation? What do you anticipate might happen? And there's a danger sometimes. We, we get very passive, you know, maybe when we're watching, uh, watching the service online at home. But it's not only a danger for those at, ho- at home. All of us can become quite passive. We're not coming with faith. It, it's, it's possible to just make routine your motivation. You, you just do it because you do it. You always go. And that can happen so subtly. You start enthusiastically, but as time goes on, you do it, well, because you, because you do it. You know, I've prayed uh, for this morning, as, I, as I'm sure some of you have, that we come with faith, that we come expecting something to happen because we're talking about the living God. I believe in the triune God. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So I want to see something happen. And if we don't come with faith, 
Actually, we may turn up, but is it living? We may be sitting at, at home on our couch listening, but God wants to do a work of faith. I once heard a, a pastor talk about a lady in his church who, who said she asked her mother, why was it when you do the Sunday roast, you always cut off the two ends of the roast and, 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 and put them on the top? Why, why do you always do that? Why do you put those two pieces of meat on the top? And her mother said, you know, I, I don't really know. She said, Grandma always did it. I, I, I think it had something to do with the flowing of the, the juices of the meat. I'm not quite sure. But Grandma's coming this weekend. Ask Grandma. Because I, I don't really know. And so that weekend, Grandma turns up and, and, and she says, Grandma, let, let me ask you, why is it when we cook the roast, why, why do we always cut off the, the ends and put it on the top? Why do we do that? And the grandma said, you still do that? She said, yeah, why? She said, oh, I used to do it because the oven was so small and it was the only way I could get the meat in the oven. But we still do it because why? Well, we've always done it. Maybe that's why we're here this morning. We've always done it. And death can kind of creep in if there's no expectation, if there's no... Uh, no kind of, where's God? What, what's God going to do? It becomes dead. Or another dead work might be, if you like, a work with no kind of hope in it. You know, I love the story of when Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, went out to, to fight. And it says that they, they went and, and Jonathan said, perhaps the Lord will work in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And they were outnumbered. It's just the two of them against many soldiers. And it wasn't like they had a fully formed faith. They didn't know what was going to happen. But at least they understood God is with us. All things are possible. We don't know what will happen, but maybe God will do something. And, and, they, and they took their perhaps faith into battle. They took hope with them. And a, a work of hope, that's a living work. Another dead work I want to suggest to you is presumptuous work. What do I mean? Well, uh, perhaps again, it's best illustrated when you think of the way in which the Israelites fought at Jericho. You know, they're, they're, they're outnumbered in terms of the scale of the city. It says the, it's, walled up to, it's, it's walled up to the heavens, and they think, how on earth do we take it? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. It was with real dependence on God that they walked around it seven times. They're, they're looking to God. They're not looking to themselves. They're not looking very impressive. They look kind of crazy, in fact, just strolling around uh, the, the walls of the city. And yet they're saying, Lord, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And then comes the moment and they shout and the walls come down. What a victory. By faith, the walls fell. And, 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 and they just took Jericho. And then the very next thing is, well, what do we do next? 
oh, there's another town. Let's send some guys down there to, to have a look. And so they send some guys down there and they come back saying, ah, it's nowhere near as big as Jericho. We can handle this. And in that moment, they stepped out of faith into presumption. At Jericho, they're depending on God. Lord, you've got to do this. Then they have a great victory. They say, oh, thank you for helping us uh, with Jericho, Lord. It, it, it looks so big. Thanks for helping. We can handle this one. And they stepped out of faith into presumption. One step. Oh, we can do it. Wow, did it become a dead work. Remember the story? They, they came to Ai and they ended up getting routed and running for their lives. They were defeated from a glorious victory to defeat because, well, we can do it now. They weren't looking to God. They weren't depending on God. It was a presumptuous work. Another dead work, I would suggest, is one that's not motivated by love. You know, that amazing classic passage of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, it says you can have faith to move mountains. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. It says you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. It says you can give all of your money to the poor. But if it's without love, it's nothing. Nothing? I just gave all my, away all my money. Nothing. It profits nothing. It's possible to be actively busy and it's not counting. It's dead. It's interesting. You find in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul speaks to the, to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I know your labor of love, your work of faith, the steadfastness of your hope. He's really commending them. He says, you're such a great church. Your work of faith, your labor of love, the steadfastness of your hope. Later, Jesus writes to the church of Ephesus. And you know what he says? He says, I know your labor. I know your work. I know your steadfastness. Full stop. It's, it's interesting. It's got kind of a, a hollow ring. I, I, I know your labor. But he doesn't say, I know your, I know your, your labor of love. He, do, he, he doesn't say, I know your work of faith. Simply, he says, I know your work. He says, I, I, I know you're steadfast. But there's no mention of hope. Love, faith, and hope are gone. It's just the, it's just the shell now. The outward activity's there, but the heart's gone. And Jesus says to them, to the Ephesians, Come back to the love you had at first. Or I'll come to you and remove your lampstand. That is frightening. I wonder, I wonder what a church without a lampstand looks like. That should sober us. Jesus says, I'll remove your lampstand. I'd hate to be the pastor of a church where Jesus has taken away the lampstand. See, because you can keep going. God said to King Saul in the Old Testament, today the kingdom is removed from you. He said that to Saul. Today the kingdom is removed from you. Now listen, that didn't mean he couldn't go into the, 
the throne room the next day. It didn't mean he couldn't walk into the palace. It didn't mean he couldn't sit on the throne. But from God's perspective, God's point of view, the kingdom's done. The kingdom's gone from him. Here he's saying, I'll take your lampstand away. And I think you can probably keep church going for a while after a lampstand's gone. So we need to be careful because we, we want to see God do stuff, don't we? We, we don't want to just be passive, like, like, you know, just like going through the motions, cutting off the ends of the meat. We, 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 we don't want that. No, we, we, we're here because, hopefully our, we're here because our eyes are on God. Our hope is in him. We serve out of joy for him. Otherwise, you see, those just become dead works. So it's not just about externalism where we might, oh, it's, it's, it's external religion, you know, lighting candles and we don't do that. Hey, we could be doing that because our heart is not right. And so dead works are a scary thing. And so then let's just press it, it further. Why do we do good works or, or dead works? Why do Christians do religious things which are kind of dead? Why, why do we do it? Well, I think the key is in what it says in the verse. It says, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works. I want to suggest to you that sometimes we do dead works because we've got a bad conscience. We do stuff to get our conscience clear. We think, if I do this, God will be happy with me. If I do this, other people will think, ah, he's a good Christian. He does this. He turns up. She does, you know, th- that. She does w- whatever. And, and, and it all kind of, we do it to, 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 to cleanse our conscience. So when somebody says, will you do this? You think, well, if I don't do it, what will they think of me? We, we need somebody to help with this. Will you help? Well, oh, okay. Is your heart? In it? Not really. Why are you doing it? Well, what would they think of me if I didn't do it? And sometimes when grace hasn't taken root in a church, you can have a whole church that is manipulated by guilt. You have to do it. Because the guy is constantly bullying you or bringing pressure, manipulating. So people are very, very busy because, well, what will others think, think, what will others think of me if, 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 I, if, if I don't? I, if, if I'm not pulling my weight, so I've got to do it. Or even before God, what will God think of me if I don't do it? And so, and so I want to say that's a conscience work. You do it to keep your conscience. And sometimes if, if we've not done very well or, or we, we don't have a, 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 you know, a, a very good opinion of ourselves or we've never really understand grace, you can find some people who've never understood grace and they're the busiest people in the church because they're just trying to get rid of, of guilt by doing more. And so we can be so active in dead works. Listen, the wonderful thing, and we've been talking about it for weeks now, is it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses my conscience. So I don't have to do this stuff to somehow please God. Right? That's what this verse is saying. We don't, we don't do things thinking, what will God think of me if I don't? 
What will they think of me if, if, if I don't? You see, people get caught up with that. We get caught, you know, someone says, would you, you know, w- w- would you help with the children's work? I hate kids. They stink. They're horrible. Yes, of course I will. I hate kids. But, you know, what will they think of me if I don't? But it says in Romans 4, verse 5, to the one who doesn't work, but believes in him who justifies the God, the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's one of the most radical statements of grace in the Bible. To the one who doesn't work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so when there's pressure to do conscience work, you don't have to do it. You're free. You're righteous as a gift. And sometimes you'll experience someone trying to get at your conscience or they're trying to make you feel bad about yourself. But happily, if you understand the grace of God, you're able to say no. And in your heart you say, and I am still righteous, thank you. Now that needs to invade church life. And listen, this is a bit scary. This is sometimes where the leaders get a little bit nervous because because sometimes you're free to say, no, and I'm still righteous. Would you help with the kids' work? Kids, I hate them. No, and I'm still righteous. Would you help with, you know, setting up the chairs? Well, I'm not really good at chairs. No, and I'm still righteous. Hallelujah. Now listen, is that the end of the story? Well, not quite. It's not quite the end of the story. So are we, you know, called just to, to, to sit around? Hallelujah, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, praise God. Glad Daryl and Mike are going to do everything around here from now on. Well, no, let's, let's just go through the whole verse. We, 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 we see, so we see uh, that we cleanse our conscience from dead works in order that we might serve the living God. Right, so we, so we have a transition. We don't want to be just religious. We don't want to just be doing stuff. No, we want to serve the living God. Let me just remind you of a few different verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? So Jesus died for us, the end product being that he's looking for people for himself who are zealous to do good works. Another one, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there's a greater motivation. It brings glory to God to see our good works. A third one, John 9 we must work the works of him who sent us while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, there's an end. There's an opportunity. Uh, the opportunity will be gone. We must, we must work now. The night's coming where you can't do anymore. So there's an urgent note. And then one more. Revelation 22:12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to render to each one according to what he's done. According to what he's done. So that's bringing the total end of the story. Jesus is coming to reward our work. Right? So I'm not going to do conscience work. 
I'm not going to do things so, so that other people will, will think well of me or somehow justify myself. Jesus has justified me. I, I'm not trying to impress God because Jesus has already impressed him for me. But I want to serve him. So I'm, I'm going to be careful what I get involved in. So you see, it, 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 it cuts us loose from religion. Stuff we're not meant to do. Things that we haven't got a heart for. Things that we get bullied into, manipulated into. Not so that we can just sit around and be lazy. But so that we can find the thing that God wants us to do. We bring him glory. We do things that are fruitful. Because they're actually the things that God has given us to do. And it, and it says here, he will reward us for what we've done. And you don't often hear Christians preach on rewards. It, it's not something that we give a, a lot of thought to. Um, maybe even makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I'd like to remind you of what the Bible says. And so I want to read a few verses to you from 1 Corinthians uh, 3. This is probably the best teaching on this theme. Uh, you might like to turn there if you have your Bibles with you. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the fact that he's laid a foundation. And then he talks about how it gets then built upon. And Paul says, like a skilled master builder in verse 10, I've laid a foundation. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. If anyone builds, verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now he's not talking about salvation here. Salvation's by faith, it's not by works. You're already saved, you're secure. So he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the works we do. And those works will be tested by fire. There's going to come a fire test. And it will test the quality of our work. And it, and it says we will find out whether our work was gold or silver or straw. On that day, friends, when we stand before Jesus, some of our stuff is going to go up in smoke. But some will receive a reward. It's a bit like when Jesus uh, was in the temple and, and, and the rich guy comes in and, and, and he took out his, his big offering and he's just kind of, you know, he's just kind of pouring it out and, and kind of looking around. You know, I'm generous, that's what I am. And he's making sure people notice. And, the, and then the little widow comes along and, and she's also looking around, but hoping no one sees her and she just puts in her two coins. But it's all she's got. Now most pastors don't even look when you bring your offerings, but Jesus does. And it's almost like he says, let the fire fall. And, when this, it, and then when the smoke lifts, the smoke clears, wow, where, where did that guy's offering go? It, it's, it's gone. It, 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 it's straw. It, it, done without love, it profits nothing. It, it looked impressive. No, it's nothing. 
Now let the fire fall on that woman's gift. She gave all that she had. It, 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 it was an honest, true gift. It's like the smoke, the smoke's cleared. Wow, look at that. Gold, precious gems. Friends, that is going to happen to all of us. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Not to see if we're saved or not. That's done. That's finished. We've been saved. But Jesus wants us to do works to glorify him, to magnify him, to exalt him. And then when he tests those, if they've been done well, honestly, there'll be rewards. There'll be rewards. Again, we, we don't often think about rewards, do we? We tend not to talk about re rewards. Why? Well, I think partly through a wrong understanding of grace. We think, well, it's all grace. And so we think, oh, that, that, that's irrelevant. That, that's not appropriate for us to think that way. No, no, no. It's not, in a, not ir irrelevant. Now, I'm not saying we should be continually preoccupied with it, but nor should we be indifferent about it. And I want to suggest that sometimes we get, we get it wrong because of little things that are popular in the church that when you put them together, they kind of build a, a picture that undermines this teaching. Things like this. For instance, after the worship service, you know, you might say to somebody, you played the keyboard so beautifully this morning. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. And what happens sometimes is when you applaud someone or thank them, the answer, the, the answer sometimes comes back, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You ever heard that? It wasn't me, it was the Lord. And you feel like saying, well, who was it that played the wrong note then? Not that I heard any wrong notes this morning. Or, or, when, they, or when they say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, you might say, it was good, but the Lord? I mean, it was good, but not that good. But you'll find people say that. Oh, it wasn't me. It's not true. No, it was you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the, the musicians for all the hours you put in, uh, for all of the training, all of the practice, all of the teamwork, all of the living, loving pr preparation. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. See, it's not true to say, I didn't do it. You did it. You know, when I was first started preaching, I used to preach in a number of, of different churches around uh, where I, I was living at the time. And I'd go to these churches and often you'd gather with the elders before the service and they'd, they'd, they'd gather you in a room and they'd pray over you. And they'd often pray this sort of prayer. Lord, hide the preacher this morning. We want to see Jesus only. It was a, it was a common prayer. Uh, I mean, I heard it often. And now what... <laughs> What they meant was, well, you know, we don't want this guy parading himself. And I, and I totally understand that. But, oh, Lord, hide the preacher this morning. I mean, it's wonderful but weird. Because, well, there's a preacher here. And we understand what they mean. But the danger is, is when we start putting these things together, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You know, we don't want to see you. We want to see Jesus. So we don't count. But that's not the Bible. God loves people. God wants to use people. Another one you may have heard over the years, I've certainly heard it, is God is looking for a faith, faith, faceless army. Have you ever heard that phrase? God wants a faceless army. I mean, what does that mean? Well, God wants anonymity. He wants facelessness, no personalities. Does he? Is that what the Bible teaches? 
Well, why then in Hebrews 11, why is, it, why is it written, this woman of faith, that man of faith? Why do you get, I mean, pages, you open the Bible, page after page after page of names. Why does David's army all get, get, get named? The, the, the mighty men did this, this mighty man, he did that. And there were the, these three, all these names and, 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 and what they did. The names of those who went in and spied the land and did believe. And, and the, the names of those who went in and, and didn't believe. Names, not faceless people who will stand before God. I mean, why are all these names throughout the Bible? I mean, you, we can't even pronounce half of them. I mean, you feel like, can I just rip those pages out? Because they're terribly embarrassing for the preacher. You know, God's indifferent. He just wants facelessness. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. It's wrong, and it's a teaching. It's teaching us not to honor the Bible. It's teaching us to honor some silly, sentimental concept. And if you put it together, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Hide the preacher, faceless army. You gradually pick up these fragments, and you, and you get the idea, well, it's God who does it. I'm irrelevant. It is not biblical. St. Ignatius of Loyola founded the Jesuit movement, and he gave the church a prayer, which has been prayed down through the centuries. Lord, we do all these things, not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. That's a famous prayer. We do this, not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. Now, again, that's a very noble thing to say, but it's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus says in Revelation 22, I'm coming, my rewards are with me. I'm coming with my rewards. Now, which of us is going to say, uh, Jesus, just a minute, angels be quiet. I mean, Jesus, um, we just need to, to, to explain to you rewards? I mean, really, Jesus? Listen, if Jesus says, I'm coming, my rewards are with me, and we're saying we're not looking for rewards, guess who got it wrong? Jesus, I, I'm, I'm coming with my rewards. We don't want St. Ignatius saying we're not looking for any. Somehow it pleases Jesus. Somehow he wants to share the spoils. He wants to share the spoils. And so, yes, we don't want to do dead works. We don't want to be, you know, I, I, I don't know why we... We, why we do this, we, we've always, had, you know, I mean, no, no faith, no purpose, no meaning. We just turn up, no faith. We, we, we don't want to get involved in dead works. We don't want to get involved in, in just the external, you know, we, we keep it going because, you know, that's just what we do. You know, what will they think of you or, or you know, it, or somebody has to do it. You know, it just won't stand up. It really won't, whatever it is. So we want to serve the living God because one day we will give an account for what we did. But, but not out of guilt. I mean, guilt's gone. We're forgiven. We're, we're righteous. We're free. But we're free to serve him joyfully. And I want to press into that as we draw to a, a close this morning. We have, a, we have our conscience cleansed. We're not working to justify ourselves. Jesus has already justified us. As we've said before, we're not trying to impress us. Someone uh, impressed him on our behalf. We're accepted, thoroughly accepted. But having been thoroughly accepted, he says, now I've got some things I want you to do. Someone has said it like this, that he gave you a pure white garment, pure white spotless robe. 
And then he gave you a needle and a golden thread. And he said, now I want you to embroider in there the things I'm giving you to do. We have the privilege of serving. So what does it look like to serve the living God? Well, let's just take a, a, a really quickly a look at a few things as we close. First of all, serving the living God is actually working with God and demonstrating what God is like in, this, in his manifold diversity. Galatians 2.8 says this, He who effectually works through Peter to the Jews, effectually works through Paul to the Gentiles. Right? So you, so you need to know where am I most to be? Where am I most meant to be working? Where do I fit? You see, we're, we're a body with, with many different parts. We're, we have different parts to play. We're not all ten pins, all looking the same. We're not all clones. We're different. God loves diversity, and, and living works reflect that diversity. You see, dead works are just boring. Everyone just does the same thing. Church isn't meant to be like that. So we need the diversity. Uh, we, we, we need to find what is it that God's given us to do? What is it that he's called us to do? Jesus said in John 17, I have glorified you on the earth. The next line is this. I have done the work that you gave me to do. He said, man, I'd love to, to glorify God in the earth. I wish I was Billy Graham. I wish I was Tim Keller. Then I could really, no, no, no. This is the line. I've done the work you gave me to do. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works he's prepared beforehand for us. There are works for us that we're meant to do. We're qualified for. We're chosen to do. Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of me. God laid hold of Paul. He said, you're, you're a chosen instrument. I've chosen you. Paul said, I want to lay hold of it. I, I have reason for being on earth now. I've got, I've got something that gives, me, gives my life meaning, dignity, destiny. I want to get hold of what God got hold of me for. So we're not just doing stuff. We're saying, Lord, what is it that you would have for me to do? It's so different from conscience work. I, I better do it because what will? No, no, no. We do it to please the Lord because living works get the will of God, of God done. Dead works just keep the religion moving, keeps, keeps putting the meat in the oven. Living works get the will of God done with all its diversity, all its uniqueness. We've done the thing that God has chosen us to do. It's also motivated by love, not by conscience. Sometimes you might be in a small group or in a church and you think, oh dear, Mrs. Jones is in the hospital. Oh, maybe, I, I, maybe I ought to go see her. I, I think whenever you hear that little phrase, I ought to, that ought to be a red flag. I ought to? Just ask yourself, why am I saying I ought to? What am I thinking? And maybe we step back and say, Lord, Mrs. Jones is in the hospital. She's got an operation tomorrow. And he may say to you, look, you, you, you've got, you haven't done this yet. You've got that to take care of as well. Don't even think about it. You don't have to go. Be free. Or it may be you say, oh God, Mrs. Jones is in the hospital. I ought to go. And God says to you, you don't even care about Mrs. Jones. All you care about is that she will be out next week and she's going to say, why didn't you come and see me? You don't care about her. You care about what she thinks about you. 
And you begin to think, why, why do I do these things? And, and it may be that you just have to stand back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And he may be here to say to you, she's never had surgery before. She's alone. And I really want to express my love to her. And I'm really looking for someone who can take my love to her. And you say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And you ask God to give you mercy and ask God to bless her. Then you go. Now, outwardly, you can go. And I mean, it doesn't look any different to the nurses. You come in with your Bible, you know, and you see Mrs. Jones. How are you? And then at the end of the visit, it was nice seeing you. Goodbye. And outwardly, it looks the same thing. Somebody came in. Somebody went out. But from God's point of view, it's completely different. See, just doing it isn't going to fulfill God's purpose. It is, it, it, it is do, we, do, do we do it with love? Do we do it with faith? Was it a living thing? Was it for the Lord? Or are we just keeping it going? And grace, friends, should set us free from all of that externalism. And when a church really grabs hold of grace, and it's really the warp and woof of church life, and no one's doing stuff out of guilt, but we want to please the Lord, and we're doing it from, from joy and motivation. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. We see a, a whole people coming alive to him. It, it's for you, Jesus, freely for you. Thank you. Thank you for justifying us freely as a gift. Thank you. We don't have to do anything to impress you. Thank you that it's all over. We're right with you, and I love to serve you. What have you got for me? That's the attitude God wants close with this. There were two Saul's in the Bible. The Saul of the Old Testament, one of the last things he ever says is, I have played the fool. One translation renders it, I have erred exceedingly. I've lost my way. Uh, Saul in the Old Testament, he's looking back over his life, and King Saul is one of the most tragic figures in all of the Bible, and at the end of the whole thing, he says, my life was a waste of time. That's the summing up of my life. I wasted it. And then you get Saul in the New Testament. And, and the Saul of the New Testament says this, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. You're thinking about it? Yes, I'm thinking about it. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. Oh, we're not looking for anything. Oh, Paul was. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. A crown. He's thinking, I'm going to meet Jesus who wants to give rewards. Friends, the grace of God has set us free from guilt and shame and hell. It's given us righteousness, but grace isn't there to make us lazy. Grace sets us free from drivenness and guilt and shame and oppressiveness. It frees you, but it also invites you. It invites you to serve him with all of your heart, to be zealous for him. Let's pray. Father, for every one of us here, I do pray that, that grace would set us free. Lord, that what we've been teaching in recent weeks would be so liberating that we're, that we're not under the law. We're not married to that old driver husband who, who, who made us always feel guilty. Uh, we thank you once for all that we've died to him. Now we're married to Jesus with all of his gentle invitation, come to me 
I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'll make you fruitful. Stay in me and I in you. You'll bear so much fruit. Thank you that you've cut us loose from the slavery to sin. From, you've brought us right out of Egypt. We, we thank you that none of Egypt's army got through. We thank you that we've escaped, that we're free. And Lord, we want to stand in, in, in this glorious freedom. And so we ask you, Lord Jesus, help each one of us to be secure in your grace. And then from that security to do the stuff that you want us to do, that you might be greatly glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.